So uh, this morning we are in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Passage about pride. As I look at the list of the seven, I'm familiar with them all. You know, these are, these are things that we will all identify with, which is a good thing in that if we can see it, we can be free from it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, hear then the Word of God. Peter writes and he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for a new morning and the chance to gather as your people, to gather to your presence, to gather under your word that you might speak to us. Father, we long for you to speak to us with power, that we would not be gathering information, but that we would be experiencing transformation, that you would change us and make us more like Jesus, that you would set us free from those things that bind, those things that hold us down and hold us back. Come near. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The list of the seven goes back to even the third century. There was a third century monk who made a list, I think, of eight. And uh, as, as heads or um, uh, roots of all the other sins, Gregory the Great in the fifth century picked it up and he changed the list a little bit, combined a couple and added one and made a list of seven. And what he said is that they were heads. In other words, that you could take all the sins that you and I would ever commit, that the Bible describes that exists, you could take them all and put them under one of these seven heads. You know, one of these seven categories. All of our sins falls in, in this kind of... And so they're roots. They're the roots of all our other sins. Seven deadly sins are not a list that you'll find any one place in the Bible. Um, but if they weren't in the Bible, I wouldn't be preaching on them. Um, they're, 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 they're seven Bible sins, they're, they're themes almost that run through the Scripture, but they're, <clears throat> they're a list that has come together more in Christian moral theology as we have thought about the Christian life and the things that the Scripture tells us. And so the list is pride and sloth and lust and envy and anger and gluttony and greed. Pride, sloth, lust, anger, envy, gluttony and greed. And they are deadly in the sense that they're deadly to the soul. Sometimes surprising in the list of deadly sins, murder is not one of them. But these, murder would fall under these heads. They're deadly to the soul. They're deadly to the spiritual life. They're not a single action. They're not necessarily just a given moment of something, but they're roots, they're attitudes, they're postures. And so as we go to talk about pride, pride is not just something I said that I shouldn't have said, you know, that was... You know, it wasn't just something I did. It wasn't just a choice at a given moment. It's actually a, an, an attitude or a posture, a root out of which what I'm saying and what I'm doing is coming. You know, it's, it goes back deeper into the core of who we are. Their belief systems, postures, forms of self-idolatry. And so pride is not a single action. It's an attitude that infects the whole character. 
And it's the root of many other sins. Like an octopus. You think of the octopus, it's got a head, but it's got these tentacles. You know, anywhere from eight to a whole bunch of them. But these tentacles that reach out into all other kinds of places. And that's where pride reaches out into all parts of our character. It's like the spring of a stream. You know, that story is told of a shepherd who is shepherding his sheep in the stream where he... he, he um, <clears throat> uh, waters his sheep is muddied and foul and it's dirty and so he's sitting there trying to clean it up his sheep won't really drink it so he's sitting there he tries to divert it a little bit it runs over the sand and the rocks and he gets down he gets it in a in a little jar and out of the jar he's trying to wait till it settles under the bottom to pour out the cleaner stuff on the top and he's going to all these purification trying to get the water clean enough for his sheep to drink it and this guy, traveler, comes by and he sees the guy going through all these exercises, trying, you know, working so hard to, to clean this water to get enough for it. And he says, have you been up to the spring? Why is the water like this? And so he tells him, you need to go to the head of the spring. And he goes to the head and finds that the head of the spring itself has become foul. That there's all kinds of debris and things where the spring comes forth. That pool is just full of stuff that needs to be... So in cleaning the spring and pulling that stuff out of there and, and protecting the spring, the water downstream is cleaner and purer, uh, giving, giving life to all. And this is, pride is one of those things that fouls the spring so, so that everything downstream. So we need to go to the source in that sense. We need to go upstream. Verse 5, as we come to the passage, Paul, uh, Peter is writing and he says, likewise, and whenever you hear a word like that, you know it's pointing backwards, but he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Verses 1 to 4 is a little passage about church elders. Peter, who exhorts the elders among you, and, and as I am a fellow elder, and it's one of those classic passages that every session, that every leadership uh, officer training kind of thing goes to, is to the to the role and the heart of an elder and what he should be about. You know, he should be eager and not under compulsion and he should be generous and not out for greedy gain and all those things that an elder is supposed to be. And then in verse 5, he turns to the church. Right? He's been addressing the elders and he turns to the church. And I believe that when he says that, that uh, you know, the younger, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Younger there is a metaphor for the rest of the congregation, the rest of God's people. That it's not a different topic, that it flows right out of what he says in the same way. You know, you elders are to be like this, and likewise, and the elder there is not just old, older people, elder there is the officer of the church. And so he says, likewise, the younger should respond this way. Clothe yourselves as he moves right out of that. You who are younger should be subject to you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud. He instructs God's people to come under authority. You know, this is reflected in our membership vows. There are churches that have vows and some that don't and have a sense of membership, but it's reflected in ours. Every person that's joined this church has taken the vow that says, I promise to submit to the government and discipline of the church. I mean, it's a reflection of this kind of a thing. Likewise, you who are younger should be subject to the leadership of the church. 
He instructs God's people to come under authority. And one of the greatest barriers to submission, whether it is in the church or whether it is in the family, and I would say if you are married or you, ha- and you, you have a spouse, that the, the church runs parallel to the family and that there are applications in the same way at home as there are in the life of the church. But one of the great barriers to authority is the refusal to submit to authority. Which Paul, Peter, I'm going to do that the whole time, Peter, chalks up to pride. The great barrier to living out the Scriptures in these ways is pride. Adam and Eve, it's the very first sin you all of us know. And you think through, in fact, there are those as they think about sin. Some would say if you got a list of seven, they boiled it down to seven. They said if you want to boil the seven down to one, it would be pride. Right? That the seven would go down, if you could, even to one. They would say it's the primordial sin. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. It's that refusal to submit to God. When God said this, and they said, hmm, it looked good to the eye, it was pleasing for food, and it, you know, to make one wise, and they decided to do in their own pride what they thought was best, rather than what God said. Rather than coming into submission to God's Word, God's will. They did their own thing. And it's gone bad for all of us. Pride is a self-exalting attitude. It's revealed in rebellion. You know, we see it in our own lives and our children. You, you watch children go up and you think, you know, you're waiting for them to speak their first words. You know, and you're trying to prompt them on what those words are, right? You don't want them to just speak any first word. You want them to say, Mom. And Dad's over there being like, no, Dad. You know, and so we're trying to get that first word. Every now and then, it's neither of those. What is it? No. No. <laughs> right? Or if it's not first, it's in the first list. I mean, it's one of the first things. Okay, there's your will, mom and dad out there in the world, and then there's my will. And as soon as I'm able to articulate a syllable on my lips, one of the very first syllables will be no. My will be done. <laughs> I will not do what you say. Or you will not do what I am telling you not to do or willing you not to do. No. Mine. My will be done. My friends, we are really slow to grow out of that. We get more sophisticated. We get more tactful. We hide it better. But at the core, we're saying... My will be done. No. Mine. My way. Pride is that self-exalting attitude. It's this rebellion. It's this assertion of the self and of the will. Tony Campolo, it's there in your bulletin under the first point. Tony Campolo says this, Pride is arrogant self-worship. It's the sin of exalting oneself and placing one's own interests above the interests of others. The proud are in love with themselves. But let me just say, as I said at the beginning, that is the root and, and, and spring of the human race. Right? The, the sin, what is wrong with the human race is this, is that we love the self more than we love God. Right? We love our ways more than we love His ways. We want to do our will more than we want to do His will. You know, it's this thing of who's at the center. What's wrong with the human race is that me and the self is at the center and not God. That we want to be Lord instead of Him. And we wrestle with this. We love ourselves. We love our own ideas. We love our own thoughts. We, we, we love our own way. We love us. 
right? We love me. Pride prefers itself, its plans, its needs, its will. And it looks down on and it criticizes and it feels justified in doing so because of where it stands in relation to everybody else. And so pride destroys relationships and undermines marriages and splits churches and divides friends and it has tentacles that reach into every area and aspect of life. I, I was thinking about this and I'm just going to go through this list of, of, of what, you know, how pride is and what pride acts like. <clears throat> pride is willful. And this is a list taken from my own experience, by the way. Just so you... Pride is willful. It does not like to have its will crossed. It does not like to give in to another. It's fine until you don't cooperate. Until you want to do something different. Until you believe something different. Until you challenge what I think. And so, and so pride is hard to teach. Because it doesn't like to be disagreed with. And disagreement, like the moment I recognize you're disagreeing, it's, it's, it's almost intolerable. It's, you, you shouldn't do that. that it, it doesn't want to be disagreed with. It doesn't like its ideas to be challenged. And so it's hard to correct. It bristles at criticism. It resents being rebuked. It either runs from it or it turns and attacks back. We know that, don't we? Criticism comes and the counterattack. What about you? It's willful, so it's hard to teach, it's hard to correct, and it's hard to reconcile because it, it refuses to admit wrong. It doesn't want to confess. It doesn't want to say, I'm, I'm sorry that I mistreated you. I'm sorry that I was angry with you. I'm sorry that I, you know, <clears throat> um, that I did what I did. I'm sorry that I put myself first and was selfish. I'm sorry that I wasn't listening. I'm sorry. It, it, it has a hard time admitting wrong, confessing, on the other side, it has a hard time extending mercy and forgiving because you deserve it. You deserve it. And I stand in that place. And so it is slow to extend mercy and slow to forgive. It's hard to reconcile. It's hard because pride is controlling. It doesn't tolerate interference. It's pride's way or the highway. So pride is stubborn. It's inflexible. It's uncompromising. It's strict because my way is... Not just my way or the highway, but my way is the right way. And so pride is condescending. It always thinks it's right. It always stands on the high ground. So criticism flows freely. And so pride is impatient. Because pride shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't have to waste my time. You're not worth my time. So pride is indignant. How dare you question me? How dare you, you know, challenge me? How dare you get in my way? How dare you frustrate my designs? How dare you? I deserve better than this. And so pride is angry. I have long believed as people come, you know, for counseling, I'm dealing with anger. And where does anger? And I always, usually my counselor says, you have to follow whatever you are angry about. You've got to step back and follow your anger down to its source. Why are you angry? Really, truly at the bottom. I am mad because I was planning to do this. And you interfered. I am angry because I... Whatever it was, it's usually a crossing of the wills. Why am I so angry? Something in my world hasn't gone the way I intended it to go. And so we struggle. Pride, angry. Pride gets angry. Pride is hard to lead, which is what Peter is saying in this text. 
Pride is hard to lead. It doesn't like to submit to anyone. It doesn't like to be told what to do. But here's the thing. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Right? That is an amazing set of words that, that we have to back up and spend some time thinking that he, in the next verse, goes on to talk about humbling yourself under God's mighty hand, that at the proper time, He will exalt you. See, what, what, what pride is, is, is me exalting myself. Putting myself in the pride of place. Whether it's my will, my way, my thoughts. <clears throat> and God says when we exalt ourselves, He opposes us. But as we are humbled under His mighty hand, He Himself, in His own way, in His own time, will exalt us. Right? God exalts the humble. If we exalt and prefer and advance ourselves, Jesus says in many ways, you have received your reward. And we'll get no reward. If we exalt ourselves, but in verse 5, God opposes the proud. Can you imagine just being in the position in life where God is against you? You know, I hear that phrase and it's the kind of thing that should just stop us in our track. If I advance myself, right? If I put myself forward, if I put my, if I assert my, my will when I am doing this kind of thing, he says, God resists us. God opposes it. God has no part of it. We cannot advance in the things of God. Just think about that. We want to advance in the things of God, but we, are, but we, we press our own, you know, we advance ourselves. We cannot then, those two things are opposed to each other. We cannot advance in the things of God while we are advancing ourselves. Pride stunts spiritual growth. To grow, we must see and hate and confess. We have to humble ourselves under God's mighty right hand that He would do His work in us. Right? His power is made perfect in weakness. Right? His power shows up and, and gives grace to the humble. It's in that place that, that things happen. Which is why Jesus says, Come to me and learn of me. I am gentle and humble of, of heart. Pride stunts spiritual growth because we can't see and hate and confess and repent. Pride keeps us from seeing the truth. It resists honesty. Particularly about the self. And it's an interesting dynamic because it's often in the pride. Pride that is very quick to criticize others. That is, that looks, that is able to look down and say, I, I have the right way of thinking. I have the right view of all things. I have the right view of you in particular. And so I'm very free with my criticism. That, that often when we're in that place and stand on that place, the that we have the hardest time and we're unable to accurately see and examine ourselves. Which is why Jesus says, take that log out of your own eye so that you can see the, the sliver in, in the eye of someone else. Spiritual growth and health are only possible if, if we let God show us our sin, if we stop justifying ourselves, if we learn to listen cannot repent well if we are unwilling to see ourselves honestly. To see ourselves as God sees us. To not only let Him in, but as often or not, the way God sees us is made clear to us and it's reflected back to us from the people around us. 
We can't repent well if we're unwilling to see ourselves honesty, and that is to see ourselves, to understand how others experience us. To let them tell us the truth about ourselves. We are very convinced, as often or not, they're just out to get me. They're just being mean. They're just being harsh. They're just, for whatever reason, I don't know why they hate me so much that they would say these things about me. They're just against me. When the truth is, they are your friend, and faithful are their wounds. Right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Right? And not to advance their own agenda. But because they love you, and that advances God's agenda. Which is our sanctification. It was Pascal truly here in, under number two in your bulletin. Pascal says, Truly it is an evil to be full of faults. But it is a still greater evil to be full of them and to be unwilling to recognize them. Spiritual growth is driven by a desire to change. You know, brothers and sisters, we have to get to the place where we really want to be like Jesus, where we really want to grow, where we really want to be different, where we really want to... And the only way to do that is to open ourselves up to the truth as it's told to us by other people, as it's told to us by God's Word. In James, he says, the Word of God is a mirror in which we look and we see ourselves as we really are. And it, and it, and it convicts us and it judges us and it shows us, but it does it not to destroy us, but to save us. And so we really have to desire, I want, you know, and this has been a wrestling, to want my wife to tell me the truth about myself and to seek the grace of God to hear it. To want, you know, the church staff or you in situations and relationships to tell me the truth about me so that I can find that kernel of truth and seek to grow and to be different. I can't repent if I won't see it, if I won't admit it, if I can't to desire and to long for and to pray for change. Humility is the soil for spiritual growth. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to sinners. God gives grace to those who know themselves so. John Newton, the writer of the great hymn Amazing Grace, it's here in your bulletin under the second point, he says the first, the first Priority is prayer. And he says in here, as you pray, above all things, we should pray for humility. It may be called the guard of all the other graces and the soil in which they grow. It is the soil in which every other Christian grace grows. Without humility, we cannot grow because we cannot see straight. Which is why the next quote, I believe it is the next one, Bernard of Clairvaux said, Humility is the virtue by which a man recognizes his own unworthiness because he really knows himself. Right? Humility is about really knowing ourselves. Pride keeps us from the truth about ourselves. It keeps, so it keeps us from maturing. You know, the problem with children until they can really understand and, and see the things, you know, we grow and mature as we begin to understand and to own. Pride is the affliction of those who don't know themselves very well who are not acquainted with their own hearts who don't know the depth of their own sin have not recognized the blackness that, that lurks underneath the surface as we seek to change and for me one of the things that makes it clearer and clearer is the longer I've been a Christian you know you come to Christian at 18 and I decide well I'm going to stop sinning right? and that's what Christians do we stop sinning Right? We, we seek to live a life that is pleasing to God, to honor God. And so we endeavor in, this, in this, this quest. And what do you discover? 
not so easy to do just that, is it? It's not so easy. I became a Christian at 18. I'll be 50 this year. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't even know where I am in the process, but I don't think I'm halfway. You know, I don't think, um, you know, I, we, we struggle. And that's because we can deal with a bunch of surface stuff, but these roots, the root of pride, the root of lust, the root of greed, the root of gluttony and of envy and these, these, these root things, they, they, they run deep. They're like veins of <clears throat> ore that run deep into the rock of our hearts. <laughs> And they're not so easily uprooted. The more we know ourselves, growing in the Christian life is, is, is a double knowledge. It's growing to know more and more of who God is and His holiness and His righteousness and His, you know, all that He is and all that He, that he alone is God. Only this uncreated, self-existent, all-powerful, all-knowing deity who is holy, who is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And at the same time, as I'm growing to know who God is, I'm growing to know myself. And the more I know myself, the weaker and duller and, and flimsier I know myself to be, that I find that sin runs deeper and is harder to to uproot than I ever thought that it was. And I look into the black abyss of my heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? And the answer is only God knows the depths. We have trouble admitting how dark our hearts really are. We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But here's the interesting thing too. The Gospel says, the message of the New Testament in Jesus is just that. It's cheer up. It's worse than you think. Right? It's worse than you think. And why would that cheer us up? Well, because we may be discovering that for the first time. You know, the first time you discover sin in yourself, you know, it wasn't until I got married I, did, I figured out how selfish I was. And it wasn't until I had children I figured out how angry I was. And it wasn't until you get into positions of leadership you figure out how arrogant you are. It isn't until you get any new situation that reveals some new depth of, of sin. And here's the thing, every time I discover it, it's like, oh, how can God love me when I'm such a you know, how can I be a Christian, you know, if I've struggled this long and it's still this bad? And Jesus says, cheer up, you know what? You're discovering that you're a mess. <laughs> I knew you were a mess the day I called you to myself and saved you. I knew that the job was a big job. I knew cleaning out the mess that is your heart... <laughs> was going to be a big job. You thought it was going to be a light job. I really did. When I was a young Christian, I thought it was one of those things. And for a while, you even do get a little bit self-righteous. You see it in young Christians who, you know, I stopped smoking and stopped drinking and I stopped swearing and I stopped doing, you know, these few things. I rearranged the furniture in my life and I feel good about myself because i got a list of these things and I can clean it up real nice. But you only will really grow as a follower of Jesus when you start to figure out the roots. Lurking inside of me is an arrogant pride that is at odds with God and as often or not puts me at odds with other people. Uh, it wrecks things and it's not so easy to get rid of. I think I've conquered it and the next thing I know I am down the road of full of myself in a, in a situation that you're like, what in the world? But Jesus knows. Jesus knew. And that's why it is safe to be honest with God and honest with ourselves. Jesus knew how bad it was. 
In fact, it's worse than you think it is right now. And He still loves you, calls you, saves you, and has promised that He'll finish the good work that He has begun in us. That's, that's what He is doing. And so He calls us, don't be afraid to look into the darkness. Don't be afraid to call it by name. Don't be afraid to look at it and say, yes, that's me. I'm sorry that I was, I'm this way and I'm that way. I'm sorry I'm the kind of guy who thinks like that. I'm sorry that I'm the kind of person that treats people like that. I'm sorry that I am, you know, this honesty that we can look at it and call it what it is, you know, because there's no fear in love. And Jesus has loved us with that everlasting love and He shows our sins to us. It is His grace and His mercy that lets us see ourselves as we really are. It is His kindness that leads us to repentance. Because on the other side of repentance is life, is freedom, is Christ-likeness. Jesus came into the world to save sinners and it's safe to be one. In fact, we have to be one and, and own it to its fullness or we'll never outgrow it. We'll never be free from it and its power. Fully exposed by our Savior so that we can be fully loved and accepted. It's okay because He died for you. He washed you. He redeemed you. He bought you. He adopted you. He has made you His own. And then He gives us His Word, which is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, dividing soul, spirit, bone, and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, our greed and our pride and our, our gluttonous desire for things and all of those things that ride so deep. And it's the Word of God that cuts that deep. It's living and active for that purpose, that good and gracious purpose. It's safe. Because we have entered into the freedom of the children of God. The truth will humble us. Because sin runs deep. And it runs dark. And when we are given a glimpse of it. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 on his calling. And it says he gets a glimpse of God. I said spiritual, spiritual growth is two things. A glimpse of God in who he is. And glimpses of ourselves in who we really are. And there, there's that thing that, that Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. And he sees him in his holiness and his power. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. That, my friends, is the beginning of spiritual maturity. That is the beginning of a new life in Christ. That is the beginning of a new character. Woe is me. I am undone. And he took a, he took a coal from the altar and he touches it to the life of, I, of Isaiah and he sets him free. Behold, this is touch your lips and you are clean. Right? You are cleansed. And he rises up. Who will go from me? He enters into a whole new... The truth will humble us. But he says in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Because God will oppose the proud. You don't want to be in that place. You don't want to sit in that seat. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I want to be in that seat. I want to be in the seat that is grace given, that grace flows into. You know, it flows into the place of humility. Clothe yourselves, right? Top to bottom, you know, take on this robe of righteousness that becomes the very character of Christ. Come to me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle, and I'm gentle because I'm humble. If you struggle with harshness, follow it down to the root. I am gentle. And humble, I am gentle because I'm humble. 
I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Breaking, the breaking of our pride will gentle us. The spring must be purged. When we go to the fountainhead and find it cleansed of this self-exalt, this self, you know, we find freedom. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You've heard taught before the Beatitudes. Blessed means, in its most literal translation, happy. Happy are the humble ones. Happy they are. This isn't, you know, the humble place. You know, that's an interesting thing. It's counterintuitive. He says, come to me and learn humility from me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Or blessed or happy are those who are meek. It's counterintuitive because the world will tell you, you know what, if you humble yourself, if you go low, Right? Your self-esteem will get broken and you'll do nothing but beat yourself up and you'll live down here in this, you know, um, sad, beaten up, low self-esteem world. And Jesus says it is exactly the opposite. That if we will humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and see and admit the truth about ourselves, that we enter into the freedom of the children of God. True humility will destroy our self-righteous self-esteem right and that's often what we think of as self-esteem is that whole self-exaltation that the whole me at the center of things and in humility the breaking of our pride will destroy our self-righteousness but at the same time no one is happier no one is freer than those who have entered the freedom of the children of god Fully exposed and known. I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be a hypocrite. I don't have to be whatever. I can, confess, I can be fully known. I can be fully accepted and fully loved and fully embraced. And not only that, He's on my side to change me and mature me and to change me and to complete His good work. Pride is a slavery to self. And we have to see it that way. It's a slavery to ourselves. And humility is a freedom. Thomas Akempis says, endeavor rather to do the will of another than your own. One time I typed that out, put it on my thing in front of me at my computer. Endeavor rather to do the will of another than your own. Think about that for a minute. Not my will be done, but your will be done. We say that to God. What about to each other? And as soon as your heart, I would imagine, if right now you're thinking of ways that you, if that were true, you could be taken advantage of, ways that that could, could be not healthy, and ways that you could, and we got all these, and we start going that way, I would say, you're missing the point. Because humility is a posture, right? Humility is, a, is an attitude of life. Humility is a, self, a deep self-understanding, a belief system, you know, that in many ways says, endeavor to do the, the will of another rather than your own. Right? Consider others, you know, Philippians chapter 2, consider the interests of others before your own. Slavery to ourselves keeps us from loving, keeps us from being generous, keeps us from serving graciously. It's a slavery to ourselves. It keeps us from submitting to others. It keeps us from relinquishing power. It keeps us from admitting our wrongs. It keeps us from growing. Let me close with this idea from Paul in Galatians chapter 20. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 20, chapter 2, verse 20. No 20 chapters in Galatians. And the astute of you knew that right away. 
He's making stuff up. We always used to do that. Do you ever have those, those sayings that sound Christian but aren't in the Bible and we would ascribe them to a non-existent book? You know, so like, you know, no pain, no gain or uh, that kind of thing. And we'd say, yeah, that's, you know, Hezekiah chapter 3. Uh, anyway, Galatians chapter 20, it says, now this is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It really is in there. Um, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. <laughs> but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. You know, I had somebody tell me one time, you know, I was so angry. And he says, you know, when you can say, I was so angry, he says, there's way too much I in there. I thought I was crucified with Christ and no longer lives. You know, I was so put out. I was so frustrated. You know, way too much I in there. Way too much I in there. I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's a whole different kind of thing. When I get indignant, how dare you? How dare you, you know, to me? I am so... Way too much I. Oh... That we, that I would be crucified with Christ. Oh, that I would no longer live. <laughs> that old I, that self-centered I that's so concerned about my rights and my this and my that. The one, my will and my way and my whatever it is. I, I am crucified with Christ. We are truly free when that happens. And believe that pride is a slavery to I. And Jesus wants to be His servants. I'm crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a new kind of a life. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. Piper says, Christian humility there in your bulletin. Christian humility is a self-forgetting happiness in Christ. Not, it's not about me. Think about that. A self-forgetting happiness in Christ is humility. And what does it mean? It's not about me. I'm crucified. I no longer live. It's not about me, but Christ lives. And He has an agenda for me in the way that I treat people, in the way I think about these things, that I can deny myself and take up my cross, and I can serve and give and love and let it go and give it away and not have to defend it and justify myself and be all... There's a freedom. Happy. Happy are the humble. Happy are those. Grace flows to the humble. Right? He gives grace to the humble. Stott says, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I'm here because of you. It's your sin that I am bearing. It is your curse that I am suffering. It is your debt that I am paying. It is your death that I am dying. There's nothing in history or the universe that cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we had visited a place called Calvary. Because it is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. I am crucified with Christ. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that God at the proper time 
may exalt you. That his work may go forward to make us more like Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that uh, sin runs deeper than we like to admit. That it is harder to change than we care to admit. But I pray, Father, you would set us free. That this wouldn't be a hard thing to say. That we would freely confess before you how deep it runs. That we would let you expose us. That we would let your word open us up. We would not have you in opposition to us, my God. We would have you have you carrying forward that good work which you have begun. Oh, give grace to us, Father. Humble us. We come to Jesus this morning to learn of Him, to have His yoke, to be gentle like Him and humbled under Him, under Your mighty hand. That we might find rest for our souls, freedom and happiness, the happiness of the children of God in giving ourselves away. Father, thank You that You do it. You are faithful. You are good. You save us. Come near this morning and save us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.